This is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast podcast. It's Friday, July 22nd, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America. Steak for breakfast. So stand by. Classic hip hop shit. Dr. Dre, Rose and Jay. Let's get them. We started out mopping floors, and now we front row at the awards. Number one for the last 20 years. If you real, motherfucker, scream cheers. Motherfucker, scream cheers. Yeah. And it is what it is. He wanted to shine at the swap meet. To the white boys, got him in that hot seat. Only love it when I hair long. You should listen to this beat through my headphones. Money long, number one. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Mm. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again can be found at manrubs.com or on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off duty gear. Hot melted plastic made just for you. Need something custom? They got you covered. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family still got amazing deals going on down at MyPillow. Mike Lindell is cranking out my slippers. Currently $49.98, saving over $90. Got the My Sheets, the My Towels, BOGO. In addition to that, when you enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you can save on hundreds of other MyPillow products. MyPillow.com forward slash steak is the website, or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment can be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, only like them when they ask fat. Oh. Get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Some of the best headphones you'll ever throw in your ears. Odyssey.com is the website. They're on Facebook and Instagram as well. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's a licensed FFL. If you're into the tradesies, don't live in Canada, he's got a five-star rating as well. Newly redesigned, easy-to-use website is westcoastsurvivalarms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger and via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Steak for breakfast, backs to blue. We love our first responders, and they're always working hard. While they're off-duty, they're probably wearing gear from Mediocre Medic. Sweatshirts, T-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more. Stickers and patches for while they're on the job. Plus, they got a pretty fire IG. MediocreMedic.com is the website. And last but certainly not least, the gold standard of tactical flair, the home of the Zero Fucks Duck. Still don't know? Got to get down there and treat yourself. Go ask Mark Joe Friday. Dumpbox.us. They're on Instagram. They're on Facebook. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast or via the website on SteakforBreakfastPodcast.com. There you'll find a link tree that will take you to all our social medias, the website, newest Substack, Telegram channel, and more. On that note, to all of our friends joining us today on the Patriot Podcast Network via the Roku app, 
From the Twitterverse, Instagram, Discord, Frank's Speech, and now via our verified account on True Social. Welcome. Friday edition, Steak for Breakfast podcast. Episode 154. Now I'm Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's joined us. You guys, we got a great show coming in to uh, round out the week as we're getting ready to rally it up with the 45th President of the United States. Great guests. Lots of news. Let's jump right into it. I don't even know if it was hoping then. I ain't no Oprah then. Had the XL80 bike. Loud motor. All right, joining us first on the show today, he's the assistant to uh, the 45th president of the United States. He was the director of trade. We like to call him the hardest man on China. Dr. Peter Navarro, thanks for coming back on Steak for Breakfast. Hey, it's uh, great to be with you guys uh, once again. When, when last we met, uh, I was talking about uh, the, the first book on the, the Trump White House. I got the new one out, Taking Back Trump's America. What's interesting about it, guys, when I wrote that book, I thought it would simply be the battle plan to take back not just the Trump White House in 2024, but to take that House of Representatives out of the clutches of Nancy Pelosi. But the damn thing's turned into my, my legal defense fund as well. So... <laughs> Out there, if you guys can take him back, Trump's America. It's on Amazon. Do what you can. But you know, I I think you, you most of your audience probably aware. I, I got recently fitted for leg irons uh, by the FBI, and um, you know, I'm in the fight not just of my life, but a fight for this country and this Constitution um, with the uh, the partisans on Capitol Hill and in the White House. No, you know, Dr. Navarro, uh, it's pretty crazy. It's one of the biggest narratives. We talk about it. Obviously, a lot of the America First candidates that, uh, you know, go on War Room are the same ones that come through Steak for Breakfast as well. We talk to a lot of the pundits and the people that worked formerly in the Trump administration. You're one of the names that comes up constantly in regards to uh, constitutional rights and privileges being violated, especially those regarding, uh, you know, executive privilege. You want to tell our listenership a little bit about that experience you had when you were uh, getting ready to catch a flight and, and met some of our uh, Fed surrectionists? Yeah, let me let me let me lay out what what the issue is and how it came to that ugly head on June 3rd, uh, 2020-22, where I was put literally in leg iron, strip searched and wound up uh, tragically, but also comically uh, in the same cell they, that they put John Hinckley in when he tried to murder Ronald Reagan. I mean, that's a. Uh, that's quite a juxtaposition. You got a Trump advisor who saved millions of lives and created hundreds of thousands of jobs sitting in the same cell as the guy who tried to murder a president. Yep. Um, but here's here's the bigger issue. And I don't want to talk anything about my specific case and trial now. We got to keep that clean and out of the way. But what I can tell you is that from the very day that this House Unselect Committee uh, was formed, illegally by Nancy Pelosi and without precedent on Capitol Hill, um, I have forecast, and I'm pretty good at forecasting in most cases. Sure. I forecasted that the primary purpose of that unselect committee um, was not to get to the bottom of what happened on January 6th. I mean, there's, there's some big questions I want to know the answer to. I'll give you three of them. Why did Pelosi leave the perimeter so unguarded? That's number one. Number two, why did the feckless Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper, leave the National Guard so far away that they couldn't respond in a timely way? And third, which which implicates um, an FBI, which I no longer trust, 
why were there FBI informants apparently inside the perimeter where the chaos and violence was happening? And were those FBI informants trying to instigate violence in the same way that they did uh, with the, in the Gretchen, Gretchen Whitmer attempted uh, abduction in Michigan? Those are worth answering, okay? But, but what the, this committee, it, Pelosi's committee, led by Benny Thompson and, and featuring, uh, you know, Lion, Adam Schiff, and, and little Jamie Raskin, what they're trying to do, and let's be clear about this, they're trying to throw enough dung on President Trump and maybe even get him in a prison cell or at least tried uh, on a phony hoax charge to stop him from doing what seems inevitable right now to many people, taking back the White House in 2025, uh, sworn in uh, in 2025. So that's the backdrop for this. So at one point, I get a subpoena from this committee, and it's a situation where uh, President Trump has invoked executive privilege, and by law, it's not my privilege to waive. There's also um, a separate but interrelated concept known as testimonial immunity, yep. um, which the the Justice Department itself says if you get a subpoena from Congress and you're a, a top uh, advisor in the White House, you don't you don't comply with that. OK, because what it is, it's a violation of the separation of powers in the Constitution. We've got three branches of government, the legislative branch. We got the executive branch, which is the president and White House folks and cabinet agencies. And then we have the judicial branch and, and never the, the three shall intertwine. They're, they're separate. Um, and so uh, <laughs> so it was that um, down as, as this process unfolded, uh, eventually was held in contempt of Congress, along with Steve Bannon, uh, former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, and and one of my good friends in the White House and top Trump aide, Dan Scavino. Yep. And um, at this point, uh, the only two of us who have been indicted and going to trial, Steve's right in it now, is Bannon and myself, whereas the Justice Department actually dropped um, charges against Scavino and Meadows or failed to pursue them which is kind of interesting in and of itself because we're all, at least in their minds, supposedly guilty of the same thing, which is failing to comply with a, a subpoena to testify or to provide documents. So, so my, uh, I, I don't know if your audience knows this, but my, my trainings, I, I got a PhD in economics from Harvard and, and one of my fields is law and economics, because I did a lot of regulatory stuff. So I know my way around case law, law journals, um, and I've actually published in law journals um, in the past. So I didn't want to spend a, a ton of money on this this whole thing. That's lawfare, right? They, they, the Democrats are trying to saddle folks like me and Cash Patel and others with huge legal bills to try to shut us up and take us off the off the uh, off the chessboard. So um, I spent like three months developing a civil suit, not a criminal suit, a civil suit against 
the committee, uh, and eventually uh, the Department of Justice itself. And the law on this, there's, there's, there's a, as I say in the civil suit, there's, there's at least five points of law where they're out of line. You know, one of them is the legality of the committee of itself. Yep. A second is the separation of powers thing I talk about. There's something called bill of attainder issues, which is Congress doesn't have the authority to use laws to confiscate people's property or punish them, which is they're clearly doing with me. Um, there's this whole issue of whether, and this is a fanciful and absurd notion, but they're trying to pull this off whether Joe Biden as president can strip Donald Trump as a pr prior president of executive privilege and me of testimony immunity. I mean, that's, there's no law to support that whatsoever, but that's part of the whole thing. And then finally, there's this whole issue of testimony immunity. So I file this civil suit um, on uh, Tuesday, May 31st. Um, I send a letter to the Department of Justice on Wednesday seeking what's called a modus vivendi, kind of a way to deal with my constitutional dilemma. I have, by law, a duty to the Constitution, the Republic, executive privilege, testimony, immunity, and, and my country uh, versus this violation, separation of powers by the uh, by the Congress, right? I said, so, so I sent him that letter, and, and here's what's interesting. Wednesday night, I call this guy, Walter Giordani. He's an FBI agent who the previous week had banged on my door, got me out of bed early in the morning to give me a subpoena. And I, yeah, I call Walter, a very cordial conversation. Hey, Walter, get, look, if you need me, just, just call me. You don't have to wake me in the dead of night. It's whatever. So, um, that was Wednesday. Now, on Friday, I'm scheduled to go to um, be on Mike Huckabee's show in Nashville before a live audience, right? And little did I know that by that point, they had, had issued an arrest warrant for me with the intention of indicting me for this contempt of Congress. And here's what's interesting. The usual procedure guys in this um, in a in in what is a, a nonviolent misdemeanor uh, from a person who served honorably in the government and there's no flight risk would, would be what's called a voluntary surrender in fact they let Steve do that yeah um, you just call call me up and say hey we got this arrest warrant come on down to the court we'll we'll get you a, a book fingerprinted and, and dealt with you know all peaceful. Um, they didn't do that instead. And, and I should tell you that I live literally a field goal away <laughs> from the FBI. Okay. I, I used to kick field goals in high school and I could hit the FBI from, from my apartment with a field goal. It's that close. Instead of coming over and, and grabbing me in my apartment or simply calling me like they should have done, they surveil me all the way to the Reagan airport, let me sit in the waiting room out there for an hour. And only when I board the plane, did they come behind me and, and grab me in the jetway, delay the flight, the inconvenience everybody, endanger people with their shenanigans. And the first thing I ask them to do is like, Hey, I, I want to call 
uh, somebody for legal advice. It's like, no, you can't do that. Right. And then they confiscate my phone. And the next thing I know, got handcuffs behind my back on the tarmac. We go back to my house minus 40 yards, which is to say to the FBI. And I wind up, in, you know, strip search, leg irons, and then John Hinckley's cell. For three hours, I'm, I'm in solitary without the ability to contact anybody. And meanwhile, uh, all of the same BS they pulled with everybody else in Trump world, they leaked it immediately to the press. And every, every, everybody in the world knows that Navarro's been arrested uh, at the airport, you know, making it sound like I was trying to escape somewhere. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, there's just so much wrong. There's just so much wrong with what they did. And, and, and here we said, I'm, I'm already, my costs um, have already exceeded $400,000 and it, they're going to go to a million. So if you can folks out there taking back Trump's America on Amazon, get that book. It's part of my legal defense fund. Or if you want to give a small donation, defendpeter.com, defendpeter.com. It's a crowdfunding source. And it, that's been gratifying because I've already raised uh, over $200,000 in, in five and 10 and $25 donations. Um, defendpeter.com. And God, I just love the folks out there helping me out. But that's the long, long story. And it's a dual system of justice. It's a travesty of justice. And here we talk. No, I mean, listen, we've seen what's going on with, with Steve this week, and obviously they did that whole fiasco with you just to complete, try to embarrass you, embarrass the base, demoralize people. Like, you know, if you still support the president and, and you were a public figure that worked, uh, you know, in the government with him, you already mentioned Cash Patel. He's a great friend of our show. He comes on our, our podcast at least twice a month, and uh, we have a great relationship with him. They're just trying to ruin your guys' lives from top to bottom and, and try to take away from all the great things that you guys did to this country. Now, you know, you, you have this new book coming out right now and a lot of it ties to all the stuff that's kind of going on currently in the country especially with the midterm elections and parlays it into uh you know a successful 2024 run do you want to let our listenership know a little bit what, what was the basis for the book and then some of the uh you know part of the content that you want to share uh sure this is um, effectively volume two uh of what's going to be a three-part book on my years in the white house and the first one was in Trump time. Um, this one is called Taking Back Trump's America on Amazon. And what I do in this book um, is it's, it's, uh, it's, it's split basically in half. Um, the first part of the book goes back in time to the beginning and uh, looks at how I got involved with the Trump campaign back in 2016. I am one of only three senior White House officials who was with the boss from the campaign all the way to the end. And the foundational concept is, that, is the idea that it's a, it's a riff on Reagan's old saw, personnel is policy. In, in this case, more subtly, bad personnel is not just bad uh, policy, but also bad politics. And what I do is I outline a number of strategic failures um, not that the president engaged in, but rather some of these bad personnel around him that effectively made the election close enough to steal. I mean, yeah. this is one um, that we should have won in a landslide and maybe even did because, you know, uh, that's a whole nother story. 
but but these strategic failures kind of led to that. And then the second part of the book goes goes on to talk about how we can make sure that doesn't happen again. It's it's like uh, the the admonition that starts the book is those who can't not who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And what I do in that part is develop what effectively is a blueprint and battle cry for the MAGA movement, not just to take back the Trump White House, but to take back the House in the name of Trump Republicanism, not rhino Republicanism. And this is really important. I discuss at length in the book how the failures inside the White House and the Trump campaign that allowed Pelosi to grab the reins of the House in 2018 was really damaging because it it allowed the majority in the House to further weaponize the investigatory powers of Congress in a way which basically um, uh, stained the Trump presidency um, in a way that should not have been allowed to happen. Everything they threw at him was hoax and phony stuff, but it, some of it inevitably stuck. You know, when you've got the whole mainstream media, including Fox in, in many cases, yep. against yep. the president, uh, that kind of stuff can stick. No, you know, it's funny, and, and we've seen it, and Fox is still doing stuff like that. We, we have Carrie Lake on the show regularly. She's been on a half dozen times this year. You know, we're going to have her back on after she absolutely destroys in her primary on August 2nd. She's probably going to be the new gold standard for governorships across this country and, and push people uh, that are already there, like the Youngkins and Ron DeSantis, is even more to the right with some of the stuff that she's going to be bringing to the table. You know, we saw... What, what happened with on election night back in 2020, obviously Brett Baer calling Arizona before the polls closed. And then more recently, you know, Carrie Lake went on there with Brett Baer, which I thought was weird because they were talking Arizona. And, and he kind of went into like a standard candidate interview for about two minutes. And then for the next eight minutes proceeded to berate her on like stuff that, you know, was not really directed to her campaign and talk about candidates that she's double digit leads up on. And then a week later, another show on Fox News brings on like, the second or third place person running behind Carrie Lake, and then they proceed to make fun of her and call her like a former Obama door knocker. That's the only reference they made to her. And and we see who, those. Uh, who was the host on that? Do you remember? Believe it or not, it was Laura Ingram. Oh, interesting. Yeah, she she had on uh, the, the Karen girl, uh, and they started talking about the race in Arizona. They talked, you know, like to her like she was beating Carrie Lake and when when that name came up Laura Ingram was like yeah she wasn't she like a former Obama door knocker and they both started laughing I was like you want to know what this is absolutely ridiculous this is the kind of stuff that costs us big in elections and that's the yeah. next that's the next thing I wanted to ask you Dr. Navarro this nationalist populist movement the MAGA base the the huge group of people that are running across the country in governorships, Senate seats, House races, we see a more diverse group in the Republican Party than ever before. It's not your standard cookie-cutter suit-wearing, K-Street Mafia guys, establishment ties, looking for lobby groups and special interests. These are actual Hispanics and immigrants on the South Texas border. These are people who have been in the business sector or the private sector or you know, have served our country to great extent who have just decided to say even though they didn't want anything to do with government, they're going to go and make a huge difference in this country. Do you think this movement that's going on right now is enough to stop and hold off this ridiculous regime that we got going on in Washington, D.C. right now until the 2024 presidential election? 
look, I, I think the 2022 <clears throat> midterms will inform that. Um, best case scenario, we get Steve Bannon's 100-year flood. Yeah. And Kevin McCarthy uh, is not the Speaker of the House, but you have uh, a MAGA person in there like, like Jim Jordan or Banks or whoever, whoever it is other than, than McCarthy. Um, worst case, of course, besides not winning the House, would be just a meager majority with McCarthy in control um, preaching the same old gospel and uh, really not getting done what we need to get done. And look, there's a battle here for the hearts and minds of the Republican Party. Yeah. Uh, Trump Republicanism. Um, and, I, you know, I actually go into this one of the whole chapter in the Taking Back Trump's America book. It talks about how Trump has the following in common with every rhino. Okay. Tax cuts for the middle class, lower tax burden, deregulation for small business, strategic energy dominance, uh, the strict construction view on the judiciary for our constitution, not an act, not activist judges. That's all stuff that, that, any Republican will, will mouth, including the 16 candidates that Trump beat back in 2016 yep. on the Republican side. But what differentiates Trump is the controversial stuff that I was involved in. It's, of course, the end to endless wars mm -hmm. uh, and, of course, the secure southern borders. But but I was the guy many times the tip of the spear on the third one, which is the fair trade not this this unfettered free trade offshore all our jobs no but it's fair trade buy american hire american bring our manufacturing on shore and that's what that's what separates the rhinos from the trump republicans and that's that's very much a fight that's a work in progress and we're going to have to fight hard every day in order to win that battle and you know that's why I mean, I get back to the Taking Back Trump's America book. I think it'll be an important one because it, I, I sh it should become both the battle plan and Bible for how we need to proceed both in 2022 and 2024. People need to understand what MAGA really means. And then for political candidates, we hold them accountable. I'd recommend you try to get Dick Morris on to talk about his book, The Return. I had him as guest hosting for Steve Bannon yesterday and had Dick on for about a half an hour. And we talked about how the Republican Party is being uh, reformed in, in Trump's image by virtue of a, a huge, huge Democrat, demographic shift uh, of Hispanics and Black African-Americans, uh, males, uh, to the Republican side. Yep. I mean, Morris was predicting that we would have uh, an actual actual majority of Hispanic voters voting for Trump in 2024. And when you talk about the candidates who are running now um, on MAGA platforms, their diversity, um, it, that I think there's an interaction there between having a pool of candidates like that and having a changing electorate that will support them. Yeah, it, it's 
it's really interesting to see how this is all shaping up. You know, we did see, uh, you know, we, we always try to encourage our listenership. We have all these candidates on. We had, you know, really inform our candidates, stop donating to the GOP, stop donating to the RNC. Ron McDaniel, Kevin McCarthy, Mitch McConnell, they do nothing for this party except line their own pockets and try to do everything they can to make sure that Donald Trump never takes back the White House. It's these candidates, everybody that comes on drops their seat. We ask, hey, listen, you want to talk change in leadership? They're like, oh, yeah, change in leadership. I mean, people even say that we love Jim Jordan and Jim Banks. They're two of our favorite Congress people on this show, but there's people who are saying we need somebody to the right of them, which is, you know, great for when I hear stuff like that. But it's one of those things where this movement right now, it's going to take so much hard work. They have torn down so much stuff so fast. Yep. Uh, yep. You know, everything we even saw yesterday, Joe Biden's given remarks on, uh, you know, he's, he's made a decision, just hasn't announced yet on repealing the tariffs to China. So back up to half a trillion dollars a year of unmitigated, just putting us in and debt. Make that trade. a trillion, my buddy. Yeah. Yeah. A trillion now. And, and, you know, we've already refunded the uh, military industrial complex with, uh, you know, the money laundering operation that's known as the, the crisis going on in Ukraine. What's going on at the southern border? They're deciding on whether, you know, a new strain of COVID or monkeypox. They reported an actual case of polio in New York today is going to be the next thing to try and get free-for-all mail-in ballots in the next election. And people got to get out there and flood those polls, be poll workers, get involved in their local school districts, committee meetings, city councils, and stuff like that, and then support these actual America first candidates that are going to go to Washington, D.C. and hold the people that's, you know, messing up this country right now uh, accountable. There's a lot of people calling for, like, figuratively, obviously, the heads of, you know, uh, Merrick Garland, Alejandro Mayorkas, Joe Biden, all in regards to, like, impeachment and stuff like that. And there's plenty of receipts in regards to all the things they've done that go well beyond misdemeanors and, and high crimes when you talk about what happened in Afghanistan, what's going on on the southern border, the weaponization of the DOJ, you're a, uh, literally a victim of that, uh, etc. So it's going to be really interesting to see. It's a numbers game, and it's a long game. You know, we talked to Liz Harrington and Christina Bob kind of laid it out, like 2022 sets up all the way through 26 and 28, which would be like, would be the full galvanization of the party, but we could make, we could plant the uh, foundation now in this upcoming midterm election. And, uh, you know, it's people like you who are out there promoting those things that uh, kind of lay out the blueprint for it. Well, that's uh, that is the mission. And, and we do need to take a long, long term view. And, you know, every day, action, action, action um, with the with the idea of having a battle plan. And that's what that's what folks like me and Steve try to provide. And, you know, he uh, he's one of the great strategists in political history. I'm trying to. I'm trying in, in, in my books, the Taking Back Trump America book in, in, in particular, lay down what the vision looks like and why we're pursuing it. And um, we need to be able to talk constructively and coherently about what MAGA means. Yeah. You know, what, what is MAGA? And again, it's that iron triangle of endless, end to endless wars, secure borders and free tra- uh, fair trade. And um, all of that works together. I mean, if you if you have borders that are open like we have now, uh, the casualties of that border war, the black and brown and blue collar Americans, we're going to have to deal with a massive influx of uneducated illegal aliens into the labor market and, and, and at the risk of losing their jobs or or at a minimum driving down their wages in a time when inflation's already taking a big bite out of it. So guys, I really thank you for letting me um, to come on and, uh, and talk with you again. And um, 
it's always a pleasure to um, see your set too, because it's friggin' awesome. <laughs> we, we like the backdrops that you always have too. You you were Wuhan China last time, but you have some <laughs> you have some great ones when you're on War Room, Doctor Navarro. Listen, we're gonna link the Defense Fund. We're gonna do link. Uh, we're gonna do a link for the Amazon uh, for your new book, of course, and we're gonna be sharing those across all our social medias. But for those who aren't following you yet or want to follow you on any places, where can we find you across social medias? Yeah, well, Getter, uh, Getter's the Twitter killer. Uh, it's real P Navarro. You can get me there on Getter and Twitter. And if if and folks listening can't remember any of this, just go to PeterNavarro.com, and it's a one-stop shop for taking back Trump's America, the uh, Legal Defense Fund, and uh, my social media. We'll get those all live linked in the show description today. And Dr. Navarro, at some point in the future, we'd love to have you back. Every time you come on, it's amazing conversation, incredible content. And uh, in the meantime, we'll be checking you out on uh, War Room when you tend to pop in there and do a little guest hosting. Well, I'll be be there um, this afternoon and uh, probably the end of tomorrow. So it's all good. A little battleground right there. This is the uh, assistant to the 45th president of the United States, one of the best in the business in regards to all things trade. Dr. Peter Navarro, thanks for coming on Steak for Breakfast. All right, guys. Carry on. All right, let's get into some of the news now. We have, uh, well, some polls came out recently. One in particular is the uh, Iowa poll. I saw it came out on uh, early Thursday morning. And, uh, you know, this is probably the largest bellwether in regards to all things related to the presidency. And historically, we've seen some bad ones. Uh, There was Barack Obama, who came in at a whopping 29% favorability at the height of his, I guess if you want to call it a presidency, in addition to him, George W. Bush, the all-time low of 25% approval rating, and that was back in 2005. Wasn't wasn't as low as Bush. (laughs) 29. Joe Biden's numbers came out yesterday for the first time, came in at 27%. Ooh. So bookmark or uh, God, yeah, damn. he's the cream filling in between those two cookies. Some kind of cream. Ugh. Yeah, but definitely not some good numbers there. And when you talk about the actual, you know, pulse of all things, presidential politics, that uh, is a real big tell. Obviously, we feel that the numbers are probably lower than that, but those are as accurate as you're going to get. Has he hit the lowest historical approval rating ever yet? I'm pretty sure he's hovering around it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the news didn't get any better for him. He was asked yesterday after his uh, climate emergency press conference in the middle of some parking lot uh, near the harbor in Long Beach about, well, spiking COVID cases in California. One of Noah's favorite things. Spiking. Second to only climate change. And gun grabs. (laughs) Yeesh. Let's hear Joe Biden's response for handling COVID. The next steps for COVID, Mr. President, cases are going up. What should the country be doing right now? Getting vaccinated. And for those who aren't? They've got a problem. <laughs> it's, not, it's not in their interest or the public interest not to get vaccinated. We have the capacity to control it. They should get vaccinated. Okay. So Joe Biden supposedly is thrice shotted and twice boosted, um, all which have been done publicly via the fake Oval Office studio that they have set up there. How many of those do you think they have? Do they have one of those, like, everywhere he goes? Like, is there... You remember that show Knight Rider where they had, like, the semi-truck? <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those things... Uh, it's wherever the prompter could fit. 
the big old zenith teleprompter. But Joe Biden apparently came down with a positive COVID test yesterday and uh, is now shuttered for anywhere between 10 to 14 days. How convenient. Somewhere between Washington, D.C. and Delaware. Yeah, very convenient. Uh, It comes on the heels of probably one of the most embarrassing trips to the Middle East by any president in the history of the United States, uh, which was gaff-filled and even more laden with failures um, when it comes to what he got out of that trip. And in addition to that, you know, they're, they're trying to do a lot of things up on Capitol Hill right now, ram a whole bunch of stuff in there. So we had the codification bill that came out for, uh, you know, trying to push back on the Roe v. Wade ruling. And, well, you'll never guess who was there. Some, some of the usuals. Um, only eight House Republicans voted in favor of Democrats' bill to codify right to contraceptive. Nancy Mace, obviously Upton, Katko, Fitzpatrick, Kinzinger, Salazar, Cheney, and Gonzalez from Ohio. Um, most of them are at the end of their political careers or are about to lose primaries. And loser. I think the only one there, South Carolina one, I'm talking to you, Nancy Mace. So you guys had an opportunity to get rid of her ass, and there she is voting for America Last Policies. Good job. In addition to that, the Great Wall of Mansion, kind of surprising to me. And, uh, well, never Trump or Rhino, uh, air quoting now, Republican Senator Susan Collins, are apparently brokering a backroom deal that are going to make permanent amendments to the Electoral College Act of 1887. Uh, which they feel will be like a stopgap now to prevent future 9-11s. Did I say 9-11s? I meant January 6th. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, that came out in the last 24 hours as well. So a lot of shady shit going on in uh, Washington, D.C. right now, to no one's surprise. And when everybody wants to probably hit up Joe Biden and blame him for it all, he's now out of the news cycle for the next week, week and a half why don't minimum. They just, why don't they just put in more magnetic doors? Those work really well. I can't wait for him to... <laughs> Come out and say, oh, wait, they opened him. That that was the problem. Even though he's caught it, he can't imagine how much worse it would be. If he wasn't president? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, would have been, it, would, it would have been much worse if Trump was president. That's what, that's what they're going to say. Good Lord. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's pretty bad. And so was his press conference yesterday. You know, he was, at, he was without the teleprompter oh, wow. uh, in the city of Long Beach. So I, I don't know if there was somebody standing there with big cards just, like, throwing them down every couple of sentences with what he had to say on it. But, uh, you know, he, he talked about Congress, especially on the Republican side, the 50 senators there, even though some of them will always do their backdoor deals with him, um, not voting for a lot of the things that they want to push through, namely the bills that will continue to bankrupt the country. Like, I mean, you know, this regime has put our uh, – our great nation on. Let's hear him talking about, well, bitching about Republican congressional uh, senators. Climate change is literally an existential threat oh. to our nation and to the world. So my message today is this. Since Congress is not acting as it should, mm. and these guys here are, but we're not getting many Republican votes, this is an emergency, an emergency. And I will. I will look at it that way. I said last week. And I'll say it again loud and clear. Bad As president, I'll use my executive powers to combat climate, the climate crisis oh. and the absence of congressional action, notwithstanding their incredible action. Oh, the people in the background cheering that have no fucking idea what that means. Well, I for mean, them, for the country. They're to get 
well, we already get raped harder than ever before when it comes to everything, you know. How do you live in California and think everything's fine with the shit that you're paying right now? And the shit that you're stepping over on the streets. Well, I just don't <laughs> go outside. No, it's, uh, you know, and, and, and now it's almost confirmed that he has signed the paperwork to repeal the Trump-era taxes and tariffs on China. Oh, good. Uh, you know, just, you know, let's give him some oil. I'll give him some more money, basically. What could go wrong? Making our enemy stronger and stronger every single day. Perfect. Yeah, you know, we always like to promote him, and I've got him confirmed to come on the show next week, so it's going to be a great segment with him. It always is. Uh, the man who is, well, the master of the National Pulse, Raheem Kassam, just dropped a new Substack today. If you don't subscribe, get out there and subscribe it. The title of the Substack now, and I'm paraphrasing, is the typical hawks up on Capitol Hill aren't very hawkish on China. Now, we all know why. We talk about it on the show all the time. You know, we're all pretty much experts in it. First of all, lobby groups. Second of all, infiltration. Third of all, special interests. And now you have probably a comparable military might-wise to the United States. I mean, it's just the fact of the matter. You know, and uh, all the stuff that's going on with our military and after the Afghanistan defeat, we can't even take into account how much of our technology has been reverse-engineered. Everything from, like, our physical and literal bases to... $85 billion worth of equipment we left over there. Uh, you know, it seems like everybody that wants to go to war with everyone else doesn't want to do anything to China. And it's because as China continues their, you know, quest to take over the world, uh, our politicians continue to line their pocket with their dirty, disgusting money on the backs of dead Uyghurs. And businesses also on the backs of dead Uyghurs. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're, sending, if you're sending all your business over to China, mm -hmm. it's a serious problem. So, so A, number one... Hypothetically speaking, we ever go to war with China, whether it be an actual physical war or just like declaring war and just doing this nebulous in right. the air stuff that we've been doing. But what if they stop sending us shit? Mm. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of shit they send us that we probably don't need, but a over. lot of it we have we have turned over all of our ability to subsist as a country to them, basically. And, and some of our great America First. Uh, you know, candidates who are running for various seats and, and offices throughout the country have outlined it. We no longer have a, uh, you know, apparatus that develops vaccines in the United States anymore. Ma overwhelming majority of that is done in China. We also have no infrastructure when it comes to the microchip and processor industry. All yeah. of that stuff has been outsourced to China. It got to the point where the military probably wouldn't have even been able to build missiles at one point, And then they were like, wait a second. That might be bad. And if you don't want the optics of, like, America made in China, well, let's just look at it this way. We all know how Joe Biden kind of scumbagged Elon Musk with the Tesla thing and the EV and all that stuff. Well, Ford, who Joe Biden did host at the White House and, and talked about their amazing, you know, electric cars and stuff like that, they have decided to take their largest manufacturing plant in the United States and move it to Mexico. Oh. Oh, lovely. Yeah, so they got a whole bunch of money from the government for being, like, an America first born and bred and built here in the United States, and they decided next fiscal year... They decided to put that into moving expenses. 100%. Nice. So that that is literally like a perfect metaphor for how this current government and regime works. And uh, it's looked at that way on the national and international levels, and it's, it's one of those things where we've never seen anything like this before. Um, Joe Biden did fill his presser yesterday that we were just touching on with gaffes and and one of them was was really confusing to a lot of people i'm sure you guys have all heard it but but let's hear it 
The mother drove us, and rather than us be able to walk. And guess what? The first frost, you know what was happening. They had to put on their windshield wipers to get literally the oil slick off the window. That's why I and so damn many other people I grew up have cancer. And why can't for the longest time Delaware had the highest cancer rate in the nation. <laughs> what did was somebody Where did the oil slick thing come from? Did I'm somebody gonna... in the background go or was that you, Antoinette that went, Wait, what? Was that was yeah. that in the recording or was that you? I thought that was me. That no. was me. <laughs> he was talking about how when he was a youth and remember he only lived in Delaware for a very brief time as a child before they moved to Scranton PA. Scranton. But I got cancer. I got the cancer. The air back then was so pollutant filled that when the first frost of the year came on and they had to windshield wiper the frost off, they also were windshield wipering off the oil slick, which is what he said, not me, which in turn gave him cancer. And, and, you know, he does get a physical every year. Well, they should be thankful they didn't have to scrape their windows. It just slides right off. And the physical that he did get last year showed that the only cancer that he's ever had was non-cancerous melanoma. That's it. Wow. Nothing else. I mean, unless it's like breaking news, which I hope it isn't. Well, no, we don't wish that on anybody. Not even no. him. And that, uh, yeah, that's bad karma, but fuck him. <laughs> yeah. No? No. <laughs> but while Joe Biden is talking Green New Deals, the future former leader of the Senate, Turtle Mitch, Mr. Werther's original himself. Oh, boy. Pepperidge Farmer members. Yeah. He is not pleased with the uh, begging other countries for oil. Let's hear it. But rather than call off the onslaught and clear the way for a return to domestic energy dominance, the Biden administration has dispatched officials to beg other countries to take over America's share of the market for reliable energy that the president has purposely abandoned. They've literally chosen places like Venezuela over states like Pennsylvania or Texas or Alaska. Then, on a trip Liam. to oil-rich Saudi Arabia, President Biden announced, quote, I'm doing all I can to I increase said, Arabia. oil supply Sorry, for the Arabia. United States of America. The president, who promised he'd, quote, end fossil fuels, a gulp. thinks that finding more energy for American families means flying to the Middle East and asking politi- politely instead of unleashing our own production right here at home. Now, nobody likes special interests and lobby groups more than Mitch McConnell. I figured out what the Green New Deal is. It's Mm. all the money that we're giving to China. That's (laughs) the Green New Deal. I like it. Green going to China. It's the Green New Low Interest Loan. But, you know, this is serious. We do do have to start talking more responsibly about climate change because I don't know if either one of you guys heard this banger that uh, came out from the White House press pool on Wednesday. Listen... This narrative was so bad they couldn't even roll out KJP. They had to tell Kirby, no, you fucking go out. She's there. like, I'm not fucking doing it. Listen, <laughs> climate change could start wars. And then lastly, it's a driver of actual emissions because uh, climate change uh, creates uh, instability, which creates insecurity in some places. And you can end up the, the, the fighting in Syria uh, started really as a result of a drought. Um, and so there's, uh, there's a, it, it can actually drive military what? missions and, and, and force the military to become involved in places and at times uh, where they wouldn't have had, had, had to otherwise. The, uh, Just give me a sec. A drought? Instead of the Hillary Clinton-induced assassination of Muammar Gaddafi, 
destabilization of Egypt and all the shit that was going on in eastern Syria. It was climate change. It was climate change that started the Arab Spring what back in 2012. What the fuck? These people are insane. Insane. It, it, it's unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. I Mo- get to see Hillary Clinton in the background doing the Mr. Burns. Excellent. Muammar Gaddafi got bayoneted up the ass live on, like, Instagram because of people were thirsty. Did they fact check it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, he did not. He did not get a bayonet in the ass. It was in the taint. Oh, he really did. It was. Ooh. I watched it. Talk, oh, yeah. yeah. yeah just, Do these people actually believe what they what they fucking espouse at all. I mean, they surely not all of them believe this shit. You think they like come off the podium and they go behind the curtain and they just throw up everywhere. I I mean, if I was, if I had to do that, I would, I'd be sick of myself. I think when they come off the podium, it's like, uh, when there's one of those like bicycle races or a foot race, there's just cups of money that they run past and take. Pouring coins they all just over pour, themselves. Yeah, no, yeah. Low five and everybody in the hallways Sac- of the White House. Sacagawea coins. They probably have like a big whiteboard and they throw like those darts with like the plungers on the end to see what they're going to like bullshit the American public about. Yeah, so the first dart is who's going to do it. And then the second dart is how, what much, how much you're going to get paid. Oh, okay. I like that. And one. then the third dart. Is no, what th- you, there's no third dart. No, they the third dart is what you got to say. Yeah, I know. So just imagine they throw a dart. Climate change, Arab Spring. Yeah, yeah, we can make that. I can happen. work with that. Yeah, so, perfect. Fuck it, we'll do it live. Exactly. Tucker Carlson broke down this whole energy narrative on Thursday night on his show. I thought it was a really good piece, and uh, you know, we all know where this is going, and he does a pretty good job of illustrating that. Well, the rest of the world has gone deeper into the green delusion than we have, none of which helps the actual environment, by the way, in case you care about nature. Nature is not helped by any of this. But the rest of the world has been a lot more eager than the United States to dive right into the Green New Deal. So how's that worked for them? We can't say this enough. It has been an unqualified disaster. In the first quarter of this year, just a few years after the Berlin Senate declared a climate emergency, So-called renewables accounted for 50% of all German electricity consumption. So what happened next? Well, Germany can't keep the lights on and is very worried about winter coming. As the Washington Post put it, quote, Hamburg landlords are rationing hot water. Berlin may turn off non-essential traffic lights at night. Oh, no traffic lights. Oh, that's a civilized country. How's that working for you? In Great Britain, no country has ever evaporated faster in world history than that one. But in the UK, more than 90% of the population lives in a place where local authorities have just declared a climate emergency. Now, they have more urgent emergencies, it turns out, actual emergencies back here in the physical, non-theoretical world where we need, like, traffic lights and power that comes out of the outlet. They're real emergencies. In April, the British government announced that the number of households in the UK living in, quote, fuel poverty now stands at 5 million. Oh, This isn't wartime rationing. The blitz is over. This is right now in 2022. How about Argentina? In 2019, Argentina's government declared a climate emergency, even though unlike China or India, it's not really contributing to global carbon emissions. Argentina produces about 1% of global carbon emissions. But they did it anyway, because it seemed like the fashionable thing to do, plus ESG. We're modern. We're against climate. Well, today, 
what happened. Argentina is experiencing, well, there's no other way to put it, collapse. The collapse was not caused by a half degree rise in average temperatures in the non-Patagonian continental area. No, it was caused by what it's always caused by, spiking energy costs, which cause inflation. Inflation is now over 60% in Argentina. Mm. Argentina is now too broke to function. Quote, access to fertilizers and diesel is urgent to avoid complete paralysis. A farmer's group in Argentina wrote to the government recently. Wait, farmers don't have access to fertilizers? What? How can you grow things without fertilizer? Well, fertilizer isn't environmentally friendly. And we've got a climate emergency, so no fertilizer for you. Oh, except that means no food and then people starve. Mm -hmm. That happened in Sri Lanka, as we've told you repeatedly. We can't say this enough. In Sri Lanka, the government banned all fertilizers. As a result, food prices are up by 80%. In a poor country, that's not a small thing. Again, people starve. Is John Kerry contributing to the food bank in Sri Lanka? No, of course not. He's bombing off in his own plane yep. on their global warming conference. How about the Netherlands, a rich country, the world's second largest ag exporter? In the name of climate, in 2019, the European Parliament declared a, wait for it, climate emergency in the Netherlands. So the government forced farmers there to cut livestock by 50% because cow flatulence. That's a huge, Sandy Cortez has actually done a TikTok on this, I think. Cow flatulence, huge problem. So we need what, <laughs> what the EU called an unavoidable transition. Mm. What happened then? Oh, riots. Our leaders are telling us we need the same thing. Here, it's a climate emergency. It's code red. You have no choice. And they mean it. And you don't get to vote on it either because they're so for democracy that they're going to force it down your throat with no vote at all. What happens next? Well, poverty, chaos, and then the lights go out. You know who's not going to sacrifice their strength for climate bullshit? Mm. Not that the climate stuff is all bullshit. I mean, definitely there's things we could be doing that are better, but our enemies. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Sounds like China is definitely not going to do any of this shit. You think Iran's going to be calling any climate emergency soon? Negative. Russia? Nope. Venezuela? Mm. What's left of it? I mean, they got enough emergency on their hands already. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's bad. It, it's really bad, and, and it looks like some of the start of the things that Tucker just, you know, went over and we consistently cover may be arriving here via executive order very soon. How, how do you see this and think that this is going to work? It, it doesn't work anywhere else. That's so fucking frustrating. Yeah, I, I, I just, when when you see the amount of destabilization throughout the world directly related to this. He just pointed out like four or five countries just since 2019, which were fully functional, completely normal. And now are either in complete revolt or gone past the point of no return. They have returned to third world status and will never achieve anything other than that. They will be governed by dictators and warlords and all of the people there will suffer until they figure out ways to immigrate illegally to the United States. And we're cutting tariffs to China to, give them more strength to pollute. Mm -hmm. Like if we instituted harder tariffs on these countries that are doing these things that completely invalidate everything that we could possibly do. Like we could go to net zero emissions tomorrow. It would do nothing because nothing. all these other places would just pick up the slack. We, we ship. Okay. We're not going to drill oil here because it's bad for the environment, but it's okay if somebody else does it. Okay. Uh, we're not going to make uh, plastic spatulas <laughs> here 
But we'll import because it's China. bad because it's bad for the environment. It, we all live on the same planet. Mm-hmm. If you give some other shithead the ability to do it, but not do it in a way that's environmentally friendly, like everything the United States does, like we have so many regulations. Yeah, yeah, it makes stuff more expensive to build and more expensive to make, but we're doing it cleaner. So why wouldn't you want to do it here? No, you make one hundred percent, and maybe some of those regulations. Maybe, you know, turn it down a little bit just for a while till we can get, you know, our shit together. Back to normal-ish? Yeah. But then they wouldn't be able to continue to destroy the middle class, which is really reeling since the start of COVID. Um, that, that was well executed. Um, I, I, I leave it to American greatness and, and resilience for the fact that the middle class is not completely wiped out in this country because, listen, you want to take, like, our – most patriotic and hardworking demographic across the board and completely shut them down for three years, like retard your kids, fatten you up, end your business, crush your American dreams, and here we still are, the base. Uh, But wait, there's more. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I'm pretty sure everybody saw that uh, the WHO and the WEF agreed to, and the UN this week, brokered a pact to continue to work together and use the exact words to rapidly increase the rate of the implementation of the 2030 agenda. It's, it's no longer like we talked about it with Joe Ken a few, few weeks ago. It's no longer conspiracy theory. It's, it's no longer shit. That's just, you know, on Stu Peters and Infowars. It's literally they're playing their hand. They know that a lot of the world, the middle class, the blue collar um, globally is on their heels. We're the last beacon of hope in regards for that. And we'll just have to see where it goes. Switching gears and, and going into a little bit better news, something that actually is of interest to Noah and Antoinette too, as we're all gun-toting patriots. Well, they're coming for the guns, all of them. Mm, perfect. So I, I, I gave Noah some homework a few weeks ago. Have you been able to uh, come up with a definition for assault weapon? It's uh, very nebulous. My hands? <laughs> there you go. Uh, no, you're right, Antoinette. What, what do you think? Uh, you know, they couldn't figure out collapsible back or bump stock and then, you know, hung up on the definition of what an assault weapon is, uh, to which point, well, we'll, we'll hear some choice cuts in audio. So Dan Bishop and Jerry Nadler, the penguin himself, who's chairing this committee on, trying to pass some kind of a resolution to grab your guns. I uh, got into a pretty heated exchange yesterday in regard to this. Unfortunately, Nadler, who's a complete blithering idiot and just a fat piece of shit, who's never, who he can't handle any kind of back and forth rhetoric, said the quiet part out loud. Let's hear him. I wonder whether the chairman knows, I think the chairman does know, that there are more than 20 million AR-15s in the United States. Mm. That's in common use. And in fact, the chairman, of course, knows that because the chairman readily conceded. In fact, the chairman said it is the purpose of the majority's bill to ban weapons that are in common use in the United States. That flies in the face. That is an absolute confrontation with the United States Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has declared that is what the Supreme, the Second Amendment protects for the purpose of self-defense, is the use of weapons in common use in the United States. 
The other question that I have, and I hope to get into this at some further length, is Democrats engage in such unbelievable accusation about Republicans in connection with this issue. Mm -hmm. But the question is, why are you content to pass measures that do not work? If you are horrified by the circumstances that you describe, why are you prepared to pass a bill which will affect at most 250 or so of the killings a year that are of which 100,000 or more by guns? Why is that? It is because you are trying to proceed incrementally to something that else beyond this bill, and you ought to be honest enough to admit it. Mm, yep. Yeah. This is going to do uh, a lot of damage. I know there's a video circulating online right now. Everyone's probably seen it. It's on Twitter. It's on Truth. And uh, it's like a couple of ATF agents arriving at somebody's house with oh, some paperwork. Yeah. What and, the fuck? And saying because... I didn't see it. We just need to check you off the list, so uh, you want to just bring them out. Yeah, telling them that it, when you make a certain amount of multiple gun purchases, over a certain amount of guns purchases Yeah, they were, the they were saying that they were trying to stop straw purchases, which, okay, but at the same time, it's like you're well within your rights to buy multiple guns if you want to. Now I know. I mean, yeah, like, it can be concerning in a way. Sure. You know, but at the same time, like, you know, you said, no, we have that right. I mean ask me some questions, see that I'm not a threat, you know, in that capacity, I'm not planning on like, you know. Does that going. fall, does that fall, all right, answer that, this is just for you now. Does that fall within the parameters of shall not be infringed? Yeah, it's nobody's fucking business. Mm -hmm. Cold door knock with a, a little a little binder of, of your most recent purchases of firearms, then they want to verify all of them to make sure you're not, you know, doing stuff with them, which is none of their fucking business anyway. You're definitely not going to get red flagged after having ATF agents on your front porch. Yeah. And by your, I, by your I, neighbor I who doesn't like you already. An insane purchase that's just like so obnoxious and out of this world. Fine, you know. But once it starts that way, I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say, you know, like, Obviously, I'm in agreement, mm -hmm. you know, where I stand. Well, this is just a way for them to make, make another list yep. and only go after the people on the list that they want to go after. Exactly. So, like, once you once they get their foot in the door in that way, then it's just it's just going to get worse. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Oh, and it's like, uh, you know, with these new gun laws, now you're now this set screw has turned uh, three quarters of a, of a degree. So now you've modified your gun illegally and now we're just going to make you a felon and take all of them. Uh, oh, gee, I wonder what the uh, eventual outcome is going to be of all that. It's, it, it, no, it, it's scary. Now, now let's take into context one video that's circulating around 340 million ish people in the United States. But at the same time, it's still one too many. Uh, I, I do have to say, since, you know, we, we love our content creators out there. One of the first comments in on one of those videos that was posted, I believe, was on True Social. Was uh, it was like a picture of two ATF agents. They were both females, kind of thick, and uh, wearing like tight jeans. And it said like, uh, "Maybe I don't hate the ATF." <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, in regards to all the seriousness of it, it, it's something that's going on right now up on Capitol Hill. Uh, with all the other stuff going on in the news, it's kind of flying under the radar, even though we all of our big guns are in there. Nels and Bishop and Jordan and Matt Gates, you know, they put up the signs yesterday that that 
right behind him, you know, and it's just one of those things where it's scary how fast that this stuff gets to the table. And then like, you know, if they're in committee, that means we'll be at a vote soon. And, you know, just because the Republicans want to put up shall not be infringed on four posters behind them while they're, you know, doing this debate. It's one of those things where we really have to be uh, watching this thing extremely close. Jim Jordan obviously gave some good commentary and pushback on all this. Let's hear him. They're going to ban certain class firearms from law-abiding American citizens and won't provide exceptions for domestic violence victims. Mm. We offered that amendment. Won't provide exceptions for citizens within 10 miles of the border, and we know what's happening on our border. Won't provide exceptions for Supreme Court justices who've been under protests at their home. One of them was there was an assassination attempt. Won't provide exceptions for that. Won't provide exceptions for employees at crisis pregnancy centers and churches. 50 of them been attacked in the last 11 weeks. Won't provide exceptions for braces for disabled veterans. Won't provide exceptions for athletes who are in competitive shooting. And now, won't provide exceptions for veterans. Wore the uniform of our country, served our country, put their life on the line. Sorry, no exception. Seven different categories. Bad enough they're banning it for law-abiding citizens, but, but these weapons, but now seven different categories where there should be an exception won't do it. Seven different categories. How many categories, Noah? Mm. So, you know, obviously there's a lot to be not desired in regards to that narrative and, and some of the things they're trying to change. Um, we, we need this to be debated more in extent, but at the end of the day, I think this is something, if they try to pass real national legislation on this, we will see struck down at the Supreme Court. Yeah. Uh, this Supreme Court. So, you know, out of all the prayers that everybody sends every night, you guys should be praying for, you know, people like Justice Alito and Justice Thomas and, and that gang of three that Donald Trump got in there that sometimes vote, you know, not so America first, but in, in some of their more recent, more large and impactful cases have, have voted with what uh, Donald Trump promoted them as when, when he nominated them for, for the bench. So probably bad days ahead regarding this narrative, but at the same time, we really just have to keep, I guess, an eye on it. Um, the border's out of control. I don't know if anybody's heard. No. Yeah, it's it, it's been pretty uh pretty wild down there. Uh, another <laughs> largest group of apprehensions in the history of apprehensions for the month of June was just released, mm-hmm. and uh, well, literally and figuratively, because not only did they release the numbers, but they also released all of the illegals into the United States as well. Perfect. So, right. Um. Yeah. And and, and oh man. You should, uh, Alejandro Mayorkas sat down this week at a conference, uh, over the weekend and, you know, it was like, uh, like a progressive conference. It wasn't like, uh, you know, a congressional hearing or anything like that. And, uh, you know, he was asked about a lot of the things that are going on down there and how secure and safe the border is and, and the optics just based off of the numbers. And, uh, well, as you could imagine, he, uh, Said a little bit of the same. Let's hear it. Safe now. Is the border safe now? I was watching a news channel and they were talking about an invasion was happening, and I got a little concerned. Look, <laughs> um, the border 
The border is secure. Oh. The border, um, we are working to make the border more secure. That has been a historic challenge. What a stupid son of a bitch. I hate his voice. He's such a... Oh, I just... Ooh. I hate his face. Ah, he's so punchable. It's just... He's like a... Like, you just want to give him a wedgie and tell him to fuck off. This government has induced one of the largest humanitarian crises in the history of the world. And they have unleashed this crisis into every state in the United States. Um, And if you think I'm joking... And the, the amount of money that the... The cartels and criminal organizations are making, and even inside the United States, when we lose these fucking people that are literally being sent into human trafficking and sex trade and who knows what else. And this is slavery, the, this is indentured the, servitude because they have to fucking pay an exorbitant amount of money. It's like, hey, guess what? You're going to mow lawns for a living for the next 50 years. Or as Jorge Ventura alluded to, grow marijuana in parts of California that no law enforcement can get to. Yep. Mm-hmm. And. That's just this demographic of the humanitarian crisis. All the other people trafficking, sex trafficking, and all that other stuff, child trafficking, that all previously existed and still continues. This is like added bonus. I heard figures the other day, $9 billion a month just because of this immigration you know, policy and legislation that's come out from this administration. To, to who? To the cartels. I know. I was making sure you mm-hmm. clarified. Well, I'm clarifying for our audience, but... We've never seen anything like this before, and, and none of these people are going back ever. Um, you know, and it's one of those things that if you don't think it's as bad as it sounds, on our Tuesday edition of the show, we played Muriel Bowser, the mayor of Washington, D.C., bitching about that. Well, Eric Adams, the mayor of New York, one upped her on Thursday. Let's hear is a real burden on New Yorkers as we're trying to do the right thing. Mm. Uh, we already, as I stated, we already have an overburdened shelter system. So now we're talking about, as you stated, food, clothing, school. This is going to impact our, uh, our schools because we do not turn away individuals because they're undocumented. Uh, translation services, there's just a whole host of things that this is going to produce, and that's why we need, we need help and getting this done, and we need the right coordination to make it happen. Wait, what is he asking to get done? Like, he can't come out against the administration, right? What, yeah. what does he want? Get what done? Less of it? Because we want that too. Well, Noah. Did we just accidentally agree on something? I'm going <laughs> to refer to a tweet. This is uh, October 20th, 2021. Eric Adams for NYC. Mm. We should protect our immigrants, period. Unless there's too many of them. Yes, New York City will remain a sanctuary city under an Adams administration. How's that working out for you? So Mr. Goes on, Stephen Colbert, and busts out rolling papers, talking about rolling joints, um, had his highest level staffer robbed and beat at gunpoint last week, mm-hmm. now decides to go out just a six months into his term, and after he did that tweet in October of 2021 saying, you know what, I meant we're like a sanctuary city, not that like they actually come here, but we're just one, you know what I mean? And we, we don't want busloads of people from Florida and Texas being driven up here anymore. The fine L's on this one yet? Mm, that's the tweet I'm reading from. Oh, nice. Perfect. So, they can't even control, you know, like 
the insane spike of violent crime by you know people that are not being bussed in there you know no but that that's insane to me that audio from him he what what is he saying i know it was just like the most fucking vanilla comment ever like we just gotta it's just like kamala harris and biden we just gotta get this done it's like what are you getting done the demise of america well this is what he said New York City Mayor Adams says the influx of illegal immigrants poses a real burden on New Yorkers from food, shelter, and public schooling. Sounds like things we've been talking about on the show since fucking day one. So, the shelves are empty, crime is spiking, your kids' grades are going down, crime is out of control, and now this is affecting their already overburdened homeless population, which is historically present in New York. And? Get it. Hypothetically speaking, the mm-hmm. ones that aren't doctors and lawyers and engineers and engineers. Now your kids are being sucked up into the gang culture yep. that yep. might come along with fucking MS 13. Mm-hmm. Well, people it, are getting shot in the head in yep. broad daylight in neighborhoods that you would never have that sort of thing happen, you know? And, it, and it's, it's just wild to me. I feel bad because my family's in New York and I'm just like, <sighs> I worry. Yeah. Like it could be my brother, just like you know, outside uh, of the house, yeah. you know, changing the tire, or you know, in the garage. So, so many of those videos we see, people are just walking down the street. They get thrown in the fucking subway tracks. They get yeah. punched from behind in the back of the head and robbed while they continue to get beat. And that's the assholes that are already here. Yeah. Just imagine the new assholes. Yeah, exactly. Who exactly. come from a place where that's normal. That is normal. Cutting people's faces off and hanging them from fucking bridges mm-hmm. is normal. Anything to protect yourself. You can't carry a gun. It's it's. Ugh. Well, New York, New York said it's not adhering to that. But like we saw with the uh, stopping of a potential mass shooting in Indianapolis last week, where that twenty-two-year-old kid who was stopped it in fifteen fucking seconds, eight yeah. rounds out of ten hit the body from forty yards out. Yeah, stud. Fifteen seconds. How many? Not not the seconds, but how many bullets? Eight out of it, ten it, rounds it, hit. Hit from, from 40 wow. yards. That guy walked out of a bathroom, turned a corner, shot a couple standing in the doorway of a store. Someone from the store tried to run out. He shot that person, and it was at that point that this 22-year-old kid, Hero, uh, ended that piece of shit life uh, instantly. And yet, we have all these fucking shitbirds. Mm-hmm. Well, did he break the law? Yeah. Exactly. See, that's the craziest thing. I, I I actually have a relative who spent over 10 years in prison for having a gun in his home. He was a New Yorker at the time, just for having a gun in his home for protection. Well, I and mean, at that time, if he actually had to use it, he'd still go to jail. Yeah, it, it's, it's just so, so sickening. Like, no, these, a- these people, they're, they're irrational. Like they jump to these just insane ledges where they, they talk about gun control and it's like, oh, well, this doesn't fit our, our bias and, and the, the, the bullshit that we're pushing against it. Like, this is exactly the argument coming from gun, gun advocates. No, we, we, we've said it forever. Until it affects them, and it never has. It's never gotten to that point to where they're, like, literally metaphorically at the gates. And ne- now they are. Like... Okay, your chief of staff is getting his ass fucking kicked and beat within an inch of his life. Yeah, you brought the you, gates here. Yeah, exactly. You opened you, the gates, and now the gates are at your house. 
literally, figuratively, metaphorically, we're we're here. So and well, now people have people protecting them with guns, but they're they he's just so stupid. Well, it's like that bodega owner in New York. You saw what happened with that guy. Bogota. Yeah. yeah. You know yeah. this guy. He was sixty-one year old legal immigrant. Guy mm-hmm. walks in. The bodega owner asks him a question in regards to something. The guy just starts beating the shit out of him. Picks him up, like body slams him into a chair. Yeah. Continues to destroy, you know, the part of the behind the counter, and then decides he wants to beat the guy more. So when the guy starts beating him a second time, he pulls out a knife and shanks him like three times and that kills him. You know how it started, right? His, his dumb girlfriend goes over, in to buy a bag of chips. Over chips. She doesn't have the money and yep. freaks out, goes outside to her boyfriend, has her boyfriend go inside and assault this this old man. He give you know, he's backed in a corner, giving, you know, this guy every opportunity, like just okay, okay, you know, I want no problems, Poppy. I want no problems. Mm-hmm. And he still goes. And what do you like? What is what do people expect? I would have shanked his ass right away. The girlfriend went back to the store. Must have been spicy Cheetos. And stabbed him. And stabbed Stabbed him. him Yeah. And then they he was at Rikers. They took him to Rikers. They gave him absolutely no aid. His his stab wounds got so infected. He could have died, you know, got MRSA and all that, because I I know people that worked at Rikers. It's very dirty and disgusting. Oh, it's one of the biggest shithole prisons on the planet. Yeah, it's horrific. You know, sad, but thank God the video came out and he was vindicated. Yeah. Because the way he treated this man, it, oh my. Well, so, how long did it take for the video to come out? Like, they obviously already had it. Oh, no. That's he, one of the first things they do with the crime scene. It was like, all, oh, you got a bunch of fucking cameras. Fan fucking tastic. He was in jail for 10 days. But why? Yeah. Why does it take 10 days to be Virtue like, single. hey, this looks pretty good? Yeah, Virtue single. Yeah. They dropped the murder bullshit. charges and, and it looks like he'd win a self defense case. Tucker Carlson waited on the border crisis. Let's hear him. Uh, add a little narrative to the spiciness that we're bringing on it right now. Now, mostly you're not supposed to notice that that conversation even took place, just like you're not supposed to notice when the New York Times prints an op-ed called, We Can Replace Them. Mm. Because that's a dangerous conspiracy theory. Mm. What are you, Alex Jones? No, we just watch carefully. Not even that carefully. They say it constantly. The Great Replacement? Yeah, it's not a conspiracy theory. It's their electoral strategy and we know that because they say it all the time here's some examples choice cuts blue wave is african-american it's white it's latino it's asian pacific islander it is made up of those who've been told that they are not Stacey worthy Abrams of being voice here does not match her body. it is comprised of those who are documented and undocumented in a couple of presidential cycles you'll be on election night you'll be announcing that we're calling the 38 electoral votes of Texas for the Democratic nominee for president. It's changing. It's going to become a purple state and then a blue state because of the demographics. The demographics of America are not well. on the side of the Republican Party. The new voters in this country are moving away from them. And instead, they're moving to be independents or to even vote on the other side. An unrelenting stream of immigration. Oh God. Non-stop. Non-stop. Folks like me who were Caucasian of European descent, mm. oh. for the first time in 2017, will be in an absolute minority in the United States of America. Absolute minority. Fewer than 50% of the people in America from then and on will be white European stock. That's not a bad thing. That's a, that's a source of our strength. Oof. Well, a lot of those comments didn't age well 
And, uh, you know, as the border crisis continues to spin out of control, and it is, uh, we, we've read some amazing, well, sad but amazing fentanyl stats, um, not only in the age demographic of 18 to 33, but how it's directly affected high school-age kids, uh, you know, over the last couple of years and how those numbers have spiked 4% for the 18 to 33 and then 14% for kids that are attending high school. Yeah, when you make it easier for this shit to be come upon readily, you're going to have problems. Listen, if, the, if they're making national headline problems in some of our finest shitholes across this country, Shit. will Beetlejuice be the next to weigh in? She's the only one. I mean, we've got Bowser. We've got Adams. She'd have to be next in line before we jump out here to, like, L.A. and San Francisco. Well, you're going to have to say her name two more times. <laughs> Shan't do it. But uh, we'll continue to keep an eye on this narrative. All right, jumping in next on the show today, she's a journalist and producer at One American News, the co-host of California Underground Podcast, and joining us for the first time, Cynthia Cowie? Yes. Got it. Welcome to Steak for Breakfast. Thank you for having me. Oh, the pleasure is all ours, ma'am. How's everything going with you? Everything is going. It's election year. So, you know, in our industry of politics, it's the busiest time, but, you know, wouldn't want it any other way. No, I agree with you. You know, it's, it's a rarity on the show where we get some uh, California blood in here. Uh, you know, we sat down recently with Kevin Kiley. That was a great interview. And then uh, Mark Moisier, who's, you know, the first Republican nominee in the Senate in a decade. And it's been even longer since we've had one in this state. And to get somebody that's, uh, you know, working out here is uh, a little bit of a treat. So maybe you can give a little bit of uh, perspective to our national listenership on uh, just how bad it is out here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, first and foremost, I love California, so I don't have a desire to leave anytime soon or at all. So, you know, that's why I'm pretty stubborn in a sense and why I care so much about making the state better, yep. um, in particular San Diego, which is where I'm born and raised and live right now. Um, but, yeah, that's pretty much, you know, my perspective. I, I, But I also I follow a lot of national news very closely, uh, you know, obviously because of where I work, but also like there's some other great candidates running for Congress that I would hopefully love to be able to see get elected. Um, but there are a lot of people. So if I could, you know, share with your audience that do care about California. And I do think whatever happens in California, it does seep into other states because there are a lot of Republicans that are obviously leaving California. But there's also a lot of people that, that might not share the same values and are leaving to these states. So I think no matter where you go, you cannot escape bad policies and you can't escape, you know, bad um, values. So um, I do think it's important to care about California, you know, outside of just slamming the state for fundraising. No, I, I mean, uh, you know, listen, we've got an awful governor. The Democrats have a supermajority in the Senate. He's so greasy. But when you get down to some of the local levels, let's just talk about San Diego. That's where we're located at. That's where where you work out of, uh, you know, as you just mentioned. We've seen a lot of uh, movement. You know, usually San Diego has a Republican governor or a mayor. We don't right now. Uh, but, you know, when it comes to uh, local legislators and school board stuff, there's been a pretty huge pushback against a lot of the things going on in San Diego. And we've seen a lot of success over the last, uh, I would say, year or so. Absolutely. And what's great is we've been able to make national headlines yep. for that because of the grassroots activism. And you are correct in San Diego. Um, we do have a Democrat mayor named Todd Gloria, and he was part of the California State Assembly. And so it's just very interesting how, you know, when you are entrenched with local politics and state politics, it just kind of goes hand in hand. Um, and you are correct, you know, I wish we had a different governor and we do have a veto-proof majority in both chambers of the state legislature. 
So that means that they they wouldn't need any Republican votes out. They could basically pass whatever that they want. So I do hope that Californians focus more on these state offices. And I do hope they focus more on these local offices because that's what's way more important than what's happening in D.C., in my personal opinion. Um, and then locally here in San Diego, as far as like some movement, um, there's been a lot of great groups that started over these past couple of years uh, because of the COVID mandates um, reopened San Diego. So one of the co-founders, Amy Reichert, she's running for actually San Diego supervisor against Nathan Fletcher in District 4 yeah. for the San Diego County. Um, and then we also have Let Them Breed, which has also had a lot of great success, you know, with pushing back and making sure that there is mass choice for kids. Um, and then another great group, Reopen California Schools, which started, uh, which is started by Jonathan Zacherson, who just launched his uh, school board campaign um, in uh, Roseville. Um, and actually the founder of Let Them Breathe also is going to be running for school board in Carlsbad. So yeah. I just think it's beautiful to see all these parents who weren't involved in politics before and they're stepping up to play then, you know, impacting politics in the best way that you can, which is being in office and making sure that you're the change you wish to see in the community. No, you, you, uh, you make an excellent point when you talk about some of those candidates there. And, and, and the fact of the matter is, as we point out on the show, this so very often there's so many people getting involved in these upcoming elections you know, in the last couple of years that just you wouldn't even see them having any interest in politics before. And, and, you know, the radical progressive left who has had control in California for a long time, like we've talked about between the governor and the supermajority in the state, you know, some of the uh, city councils and mayors and stuff like that have really pushed outside the parameters of where they usually go. You know, they like to line their own pockets. They like to virtue single stuff that registers at the national level. But when you really start going after people's livelihoods in regards to their jobs, their children's education and the content that's being, you know, uh, distributed and, and taught in the classroom. And then the whole mask and vaccine mandates, the parents had just pretty much had it enough. And that's more of a statewide issue. You see it going like in, well, I mean, just when you talk about like, you know, recalls and flipping of school boards and other places like San Francisco and Los Angeles, uh, even in some of the most craziest places in California that are some of the most progressive in the entire country, you see a huge red wave really pushing back right now. Agree a hundred percent. And, you know, when it comes to California, I promote, you know, the path to purple. I obviously would love to see all Republicans in there if I had my way. Right. Sure. But, but any kind of change in that regard, it's going to take a very long time. That's just how it is. You know, unfortunately in California, Republicans, like we can sit around and play the blame game all we want, but regardless, you know, if we move forward, um, Republicans, you know, need to be able to do what they can to make sure that they elect good people into office. And so it, it does take, you know, a progressive time. So to get on the path to purple, um, you know, part of that is, you know, making sure that you are reaching out to voters and reaching out to these people who I would call or we would dub them as politically homeless. So they're kind of disillusioned with both parties, which I can which I understand because I'm not going to lie and say that I'm always agree with everything that Republicans do or like. Um, but it really is important to reach out to these voters and even like the people who are Democrats where, you know, if the opportunity where they can be able to change their mind and change their values, I think that's a beautiful thing. Like there's nothing more beautiful to me when I see someone who was more liberally minded and, you know, because of a shift in the conversation or just different you know, events that took place in their life and, you know, being able to change to conservative values and, you know, change the voter re registration to Republican. Like, I just think that's a beautiful thing. And I think that starts with us being able to 
to illustrate and communicate these kinds of things. Um, focus on kitchen table issues, like the issues with schools. Um, I think that is very, you know, everyone has a stakeholder. Everyone is stakeholders in education. Even yeah. if you don't have kids, those are things that hit home. Everyone is frustrated with how much it costs to live here in California. Um, the ability of being able to buy your first home is a dream that doesn't that a lot of people don't think can come true. Um, homelessness is always going to be one of those things I feel like we're going to have to be resolving until the day that we die. But, you know, it's a frustrating, um, contentious political issue that needs to get addressed. So I do think that there is a lot of hope. And, you know, these events that you mentioned where they were recalling the district attorneys um, and the school board members are just examples where, you know, because of those seeds and things of that nature, I think it is very, very possible. Um, and then also with the on that note, too, in Los Angeles, too, um, it's very, very possible that um, the recall for the district attorney, George Gascon, um, it's very possible that could also be up for the ballot as well. Um, I know that right now it looks like they did hit threshold as far as um, having the having like above the threshold for the recall to qualify. But right now they're conducting a sample size out of like all the different signatures that that were submitted to see if it was valid. So that right now that's the process that they're doing. I think their deadline for that is sometime in August. So in August, we'll see if, you know, Los Angeles have the opportunity to recall their district attorney too. Yeah, it'd be great to do that because, uh, you know, I, I, I've seen in the last like couple of days, they're starting to speculate on whether or not they're going to be able to, you know, get it done with the amount of signatures and things like that. But when you see, uh, Local races hit a national, like being on CNN and MSNBC and stuff like that, you know that there is a real fear there that this might happen. So they're trying to discourage people uh, from even participating in, in, you know, getting the signatures in and stuff like that. But but that's part of the, the blame game. But I do want to stay in kind of the thread we're talking about and, and spin it towards a national race. So, you know, we talked about walkaways, Democrats, independents. We're, we're seeing polls throughout the country, basically numbers like never before. We've also seen an uptick in national Republican voter registration like we haven't seen in decades. And uh, what are some of the races that maybe are going on in the country right now nationally for the midterms that might either concern or interest you when it comes to like specific candidates? So as far as specific candidates that I, on a personal note, really care about, uh, my favorite Senate candidate this cycle is J.D. Vance, who is hoping to unseat Tim Ryan in the state of Ohio, so the Buckeye state. And I personally really like him and I'm really eager to see, you know, if he if he'll if he'll be able to maintain this op mostly open, you know, Republican seat. Mm -hmm. Um I, I read and, and watched I read the book and I watched the movie Hillbilly Elegy. And I just think that if you are someone that really resonates with what it means to have the American dream, yep. it's very difficult for you to stomach and read that book or even watch the movie and not cry your eyes out. I mean, the man, I mean, we toss around like mental health issues and trauma, like it has no meaning, but like JD Vance actually went through trauma, came out on top and now he could potentially be a U.S. Senator. And yeah. I think that that is such a beautiful thing. Um, as far as policies, um, I really appreciate his emphasis on, you know, making sure that like the focal point of of making sure that government can work for the people is really just focusing on the family. Um, and so I think in some ways I do deviate from, you know, maybe a traditional Republican in the sense of like, I'm extremely open-minded to using government to be able to provide solutions for people in that regard. So personally, I like them a lot. Um, also looking forward to seeing what happens in on August 2nd, it's going to be a very 
uh, eventful primary, and one of those is in Arizona. Yes. So I really am looking forward to seeing the governor race with Carrie Lake um, and also uh, Blake Masters, who's running for the Senate seat as well. Um, and I should also mention uh, Vance uh, Lake and Masters. They're also endorsed by Trump mm-hmm. um, in Washington state. Also really like uh, Joe Kent, who's hoping to unseat Jamie Herrera Butler. Um, I also think he has a very beautiful story. Um, and I think what's very interesting about all of these people, too, like I don't think they and I think also in interviews, they've also mentioned this as well. They never saw themselves running for office. And I think there's something to be said when even if it's something that you never saw yourself doing, the fact that you're willing to put yourself out there and know that, like, like, listen, all personal feelings aside, um, I I think that things can be better. And I think I need to get over myself and I need to be able to be the change I wish to see. And I need to provide solutions. Um, and I think I've always been fascinated by those candidates where they never saw themselves being in the fight as far as being in office. But because things were so bad, they felt really called to do so to get over themselves and be able to do it. So just on a personal note, those are races that I'm watching. Um, Some other states that I think have a lot of great movement because, you know, at the end of the day, obviously, I want Republicans to get elected, but I would love to be able to see the right kinds of Republicans, ones that could provide solutions, um, ones that can move the needle in the right direction for their community instead of just the same thing over and over again. So in Texas, even though I think it's a great state, um, you know, I do see a lot of area of opportunity there. So a grassroots organization called Latinos for America First, um, you know, they've been doing a lot of great work in the Rio Grande Valley where, you know, there's the Biden border crisis. And so I just think like it's a red state, but I just it's a little disappointing to see, you know, Republicans not doing as much as I think that they could be doing, even though they have a Republican governor they have a Republican trifecta government, yep. uh, state government. I just think it's no excuse. And then, you know, we're here in California. We're trying to, like, flip these seats. So it's also kind of frustrating when it's like, even like in Florida, too, like, I'll be very honest. I love Governor Ron DeSantis and there's a lot. And But they have a Republican trifecta government. Why don't they have cons- open concealed carry? Like, they have all the power there. Like, why aren't they pushing back and doing what they need to do? So on the flip side, um, Lots of air opportunity this cycle. I think there's a lot of great, fresh candidates running, and hopefully we'll be able to get people in there. Um, and then on the other side, too, it's awesome that there's Republicans in office, but, you know, I th- I just think things can be better. Sure. No, uh, you know, it kind of embodies the whole narrative that we've been talking about today, and, and that's the fact that uh, in addition to walkaways and people who never saw themselves being involved politically, there's so many – there's it's just a large, very diverse group of America first nationalist populist. A lot of them Trump endorsed candidates running across the country right now uh, who make up like a whole new demographic to what you would historically see as like Republican tickets. You know, you talk about those, uh, those borders, uh, you know, districts down there in Texas between Monica de la Cruz and, and Cassie Garcia. And of course, Meyer Flores. And then you have people like JD Vance who completely walked away And, uh, you know, someone like Joe Kent, who's literally made the ultimate sacrifice in regards to his family and service. And then next thing you know, he's giving it all back to his country again and running in in a very highly contested house race. And, uh, you know, we just want to see these candidates continue to do a great job like they have. One thing I want to touch on with you uh, that I think is important to our listenership is, is, well, the importance of where you work. Uh, President Trump, even as recently as the last Alaska rally, pointed out the fact that, you know, One American News is 
one of his favorite networks. I know he sat down in the last day or two again with, uh, well, it was over the phone, but with Dan Ball, who he does a lot of interviews with. And uh, he really appreciates all the good work that you guys are doing down there and really tries to support you and all the, uh, you know, stuff that you guys are going through. But when it comes in regards to, like, your daily activities for the network, what are some of the things that you do that help make that, you know, such a comprehensive news outlet compared to some of the legacy media ones that we don't uh, appreciate as much on our show? No, absolutely. And I don't know if I mentioned this to you um, because I did highlight all the candidates that Trump endorsed. So um, Trump did endorse uh, J.D. Vance. He endorsed Carrie Lake. Um, He also endorsed Blake Masters. And then he also endorsed Joe Kent. Um, And then uh, Trump also did have a recent sit down with Chanel Rion, which I really encourage the viewers to look at that and download the app because, um, you know, they touch a lot on, you know, different upcoming races and endorsements and all some of the past primaries, um, you know, different things like vice president choice and just a lot of different things. I, I shared, um, so I, I, shared the, uh, I shared the portions of that interview, both the uh, Dr. Oz and Eric Greitens portions of it. I think those were two of like when, when I saw it for the first time, as soon as it was uploaded, I watched it and I, I it was like 10 minutes in going great. It was like normal Chanel and Donald Trump. And then she, like, asked him a question about Dr. Oz. And, you know, Trump, like, he wants to give, like, the most broad political. And she was like, no, your base doesn't like it. I need you to tell me what what's going on. And then it was, like, the same thing with Greitens. You know, she asked about the Greitens. She's like, he's great. He loved you. You guys were, like, best buds when he was governor for a minute. And, you know, now he's running one of the most America First platforms out there. And he tried to, like, answer it, like, politically. Like, oh, there might be an endorsement coming. And we know there are. We, we talked to the Trump team, you know. Eric, or not Eric, Donald Jr. and Kimberly do a lot of national work for for Governor Greitens, and he's a regular guest on our show. But uh, Chanel was just like, no, he's a family friend. I want to know what if you're going to endorse him. And he was just like sitting there looking at her, and she's like, what are we doing? <laughs> he's like, oh, there's going to be more endorsements coming. I was like, that was just a great interview by her. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. She's great. So to answer your question in regards to different things that OAN, um, you know, covers outside of like legacy corporate media. Um, So first of all, I never saw myself necessarily getting into journalism. I went to college at the University of California, San Diego. Um, There was an interest in maybe like TV and like Hollywood a little bit because I went to Chola Vista High School, which is where like Mario Lopez went to and I did before me. So, and I did TV, like TV stuff with like my my brother, like they had like CV TV. So like, I wasn't shy in that regard about being like in camera and I was present for all four years and different things. Um, and then I went to UCSD and I got a degree in communication, um, after college did sales and marketing and, you know, with COVID things were just difficult, like as far as the economy. Um, but so I had applied for OEN and I, and after I got, you know, the opportunity to work, to work there and where I work now, um, like, I'll be honest, I wouldn't want to work at any other network because there's just some things in politics that the network covers that I appreciate. And, you know, it's it's the news, right? So it, it's about making sure that we do cover both sides. We try to be as objective as possible. But obviously, like, we're very open in the sense we are conservative and right-leaning. Um, but what I think is unique about the network is that we cover different things that I think other other networks don't go there. Like, for example, what's going on with the January 6th committee. Yep. Listen, I know everyone has their own opinions about what happened that day. It is what it is, right? But moving forward, um, there is no denying that it is a political witch hunt. Mm-hmm. And there's no denying that, like, what's going on. It's like, 
I think it'd be one thing depending on so what like you know if things like breaking a window like attacking the Capitol police officer like if that's what it was all about like by all means do justice you arrest those people do what you need to do right but what progressed into what happened with the house committee where it's a political witch hunt with everyday republicans or even people that weren't even there that day um and but because they had some kind of association with with being part of the america first movement like i don't think that's okay and i'm not willing to just go along to get along and be like oh because it was this day and that like i don't agree with that. I don't think this is normal. And I don't think we should tolerate or accept that. So I think that's one thing where, you know, I appreciate about the network is we're willing to, you know, share different sides of not only just that particular event, but also, you know, in regards to like the election um, from 2020. So I just, um, you know, if there was a network where I would want to work for it, it, it's OAN. So I'm really grateful about that. Oh, you want to know what, at the end of the day, it's like, Okay, we know what the narrative is. We see the optics every time the legacy media, even, you know, some of the conservative ones like Fox, they'll show like anytime they talk about January 6th, it's file footage of people getting rowdy. And then it's, you know, whatever narrative they want to spin on it, it's it's obviously a way more crazier on, on you know, like MSNBC and, and CNN and all those outlets. But the fact of the matter is, is like there's other sides to the story. There's human aspects to the story that go into some of these people, how their lives, their communities, their families have all been affected by this. And, uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of it with like even like with Steve Bannon now. We've you know people like Eric Holder back in the day was, you know, found he was held in contempt of court, and by the time they were able to issue whatever, it was like two years later, and they're like, ah, well, you know, he's out doing whatever he's doing now. He's not in government anymore, so it doesn't matter. And here you have people getting charged with like felony versions of misdemeanors, uh, you know, for like illegally parading or whatever they were doing on on you know federal property. But the fact of the matter is, is that you guys really do add a, a human component to it and, and bring like a different version of what more of the reality is to it. And the fact of the matter is there's been people rotting in jail for a year and a half right now and aren't charged with anything and don't have any prospective court dates until maybe the fall or even later. So it's going to be interesting to see. We love the work that you guys do down there. And uh, I, I think at the end of the day, one of the things we, uh, took away from this today is number one, we're definitely going to be having you back at some point in the near future. If you ever have anything specifically that you're working on that you want to come on the show and talk about, just reach out and you're always going to be welcome here. But for our listenership who doesn't necessarily follow you yet on any kind of social medias or websites you want to give them out so we could live link them in the show description today. Sure. And thank you for having me. Love being able to come back on whenever, whenever you would like. I love the work that you both do. Um, I know um, as a co-host of a friend who started the podcast because he wanted to focus on California politics, um, he, he did all the sweat equity and I just, you know, we became friends a couple of years ago and I just like hijacked all the success. I was like, Oh, like I'll help you with this and that. So I understand like, you know, all the work that it takes to, to have a podcast as far as production and scheduling guests. So I really appreciate the work that you all do. And, you know, thank you for the opportunity. Um, so I'm mostly active on Twitter, so you can follow me at Cynthia Kali. So it's C Y N T H I A. Last name is K-A-U-I. It's a very unique name, so you can find me on all the social media platforms, whether that's uh, YouTube, Instagram, uh, Facebook, and Truth Social. So thank you again. Yeah, no, it's been our pleasure. And uh, like I said, we'll be looking to have you back soon. This is a journalist and producer for One American News Network, Cynthia Cowie. Thanks for coming on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you. Take care. Excellent way to end the week. In addition to Joe Biden catching COVID. Very, ah. very serious and uh, Got equally funny. 
we brought you two great guests who provided uh, our listenership with a ton of great information and narrative, which we so delightfully enjoyed. If so, and you'd like to hear the other 153 versions of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Podaddict, Google Podcast, FM Player, iHeartRadio, the Patriot Podcast Network via the Roku app, and now we're on Frank's Speech. Subscribe to the show and rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download this and like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Friends, get out there and throw some cash at some of our partners, because the only thing that happens when you do that is you help make small American businesses great again. Speaking of which, my pillow and Mike Lindell. Big savings, lots of stuff, pillows, towels, sheets, slippers. You enter promo code steak at checkout, you get big, big savings on hundreds of other my pillow products. MyPillow.com forward slash steak is the website where you can talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. Odyssey is the top tier of ear gear. I love my headphones, and I hope I never have to buy another pair. They are that good. It's an investment. You go get it. You'll uh, really appreciate the fact that we directed you there. They are the top tier of ear gear, and that odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Stay ready, gear holsters. If you'd like a picture of not Joe Biden's doctor talking about how he may have caught COVID, they'll throw it on a concealed carry Kydex holster and get those orders out faster than ever before. StayReadyGear.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Man rubs. Not speaking of COVID and spices at the same time, but here we are. You buy it, shake it, sprinkle it, rub it, throw it in whatever apparatus you choose to cook it in. Pull it out. Barbecue sauce right in your mouth. Num, num, num. It's delicious. Manrubs.com. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has a simple equation for all your gun-related needs. Firearms, parts, accessories, and ammo. Newly redesigned, easy-to-use website is westcoastsurvivalarms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger and via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Mediocre Medic for all our first responders. You're going to love the gear they've got going on down there, and you're going to like their Instagram a little bit more. MediocreMedic.com is the website. And last but certainly not least, the home of the Zero Fuck Stuck. Don't know? Treat yourself. Go ask Mark Joe Friday. Dumpbox.us. You can find him on Instagram. You can find him on Facebook. Upcoming shows. We're going to be circling back on Tuesday following the Trump rally. We'll have a full breakdown of that. We'll talk about it with Mr. Cash Patel and Boris Epstein. Perfect. On the 2nd of August, Ambassador Rick Grinnell circling back with us, and we're going to have the former Assistant Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. He's a Marine. He's an artist. Sounds pretty awesome. I, I like getting to know him on social media. Dave Richardson will be joining us. Paige Wiley will be in on the 5th of August. In addition to her, we're still finalizing with Adam Lexalt, Carl Palladino, Mary Miller. Fish Burr is going to circle back, and we're going to be talking with the Trump-endorsed, now Republican nominee in the Maryland gubernatorial race, sending Larry Hogan off to the hills. Dan Cox will be back as well. Friends of the week. Let's hit it. It's a long list. Might as well read it twice, right? Midnight Mitch, Right Wing Savages 2.0, Stephen Voiceover, Not Far Out, Edward Russell, Let's Go Brenda, Mostly Peaceful, Grand Old Memes, Not Far Out, The Real Meme DeLorean, From Sharts Unknown had a pretty good one this week. (laughs) I love those names. That's a backup account to Uncharted Territory. Machiavelli memes and Baby Cakes 2.0. Guys, thanks to remember between now and next week. Number one, do your own research. You know who's 
done an extensive amount of his own research, Dr. Peter Navarro. Yep. And he dropped some of that knowledge on y'all today. Number two, start a podcast. Eh, I know. Mm, yeah, it's a little, little edity today. Sorry. Which is weird because right now I'm driving to the Trump rally. Mm, I like it. Number three, let's start talking about American greatness again. We don't talk about it enough. We'll hear about it tonight. But we need to start talking about it again extensively. And number four, let's see what happens. This has been episode 154 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, and we'll be back with episode 155 on Tuesday with Cash Patel and Boris Epstein. Stein. On behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah. Later. Antoinette. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, and take care. the White House, are there any regrets about the amount of time in sort of recent days and past weeks that we've seen him unmasked, shaking hands with people, hugging people, fist bumping, in close contact with crowds? In retrospect, was he too casual? No. I mean, look, I, I, I look at this is I've said this before from this podium. We have an incredibly contagious variant um, and we've had a protocol that I think has done a very good job protecting the president. Oh. The most important part of that protocol, by the way, is making sure that he was up to date on his vaccines and oh. he had access oh. to treatments. Oh. Oh. Um, oh. The president oh. wants to get out there and, and oh. be with and meet oh. American people uh, and oh. engage. And uh, and we always said that this was a possibility. I think I even said it from this stage that this was a possibility. Um, and uh, I think that. That the protocols have have kept him from getting infected, and, oh, and but we knew tampers. that this was a possibility with this incredibly contagious variant. The good news is, and and this was always the point. The good news is, he is his immune system is very well protected, given the the four vaccine shots oh, he's gotten. Oh, he's getting treatment. Oh, uh, he has mild symptoms. Oh, scissor me timbers! What a stupid son of a bitch.